This is Know It All, the ABCs of Education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education. Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Listen to the show now airing every Wednesday in primetime at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or listen at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com forward slash knowitall, where you can also access the chat room during the show and follow Know It All for regular updates. I am your host, Allison R. Brown, president of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we create education equity plans and promote equity in education in compliance with federal civil rights law. Our website is allisonbrownconsulting.com. There you can read our blog and subscribe to the ABC Know It All newsletter. If you're tweeting, follow me at Allison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtag KnowItAllABC. So let's get right into it. Today we are talking about My Brother's Keeper. On February 27th, President Obama announced the My Brother's Keeper initiative, which is a public-private partnership between the executive branch of the federal government and the private sector, so foundations, corporations, celebrities, and others. And the partnership is intended to improve life outcomes for boys and men of color in the United States. There's been a lot of conversation about My Brother's Keeper and what it will do. The particulars are yet to be articulated publicly, but the president, in his announcement, spoke very passionately and very forcefully about the initiative. As he was flanked by a group of young men, teenagers mostly, he spoke very freely about his own experience as a young black man. So, uh, as Christian mentioned, during my visit, they're in a circle, and I sat down in the circle, and we went around, led by uh, their counselor, and guys talked about their lives, talked about their stories, talked about what they were struggling with and how they were trying to do the right thing and how sometimes they didn't always do the right thing. And when it was my turn, I explained to them that when I was their age, I was a lot like them. I didn't have a dad in the house. And I was angry about it, even though I didn't necessarily realize it at the time. I made bad choices. I got high without always thinking about the harm that it could do. I didn't always take school as seriously as I should have. I made excuses. Sometimes I sold myself short. And I remember when I was saying this, Christian, you you may remember this. uh, uh, After I was finished, the guy sitting next to me said, uh, are you talking about you? others who know what even just the power of those words from the president will do. It was also a moment for many black women, I think, of of extremes, extreme joy at the importance of the announcement and what it will mean for our sons, our brothers, our fathers, and extreme disappointment that yet again we and our daughters, sisters, mothers, aunts will be left out in the cold. 
I am so very honored today to talk this through with my guest, Kimberly Crenshaw. Professor Crenshaw is a scholar and professor of law at UCLA and the Columbia School of Law. She's an expert on critical race theory, black feminist legal theory, and race, racism, and the law. She is also the co-founder of the African American Policy Forum, which works to promote women's rights in the context of racial justice. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you so much for being on Know It All. Well, thank you for having me. So will you tell me about your initial reactions to My Brother's Keeper and and now, after having some time to process it, what your thoughts are? Well, I I have to say that I I knew that um, the announcement was coming. Um, So perhaps the most meaningful reaction I can share is when the president first indicated that he was moving in the direction uh, of creating a public-private partnership uh, to improve the life chances uh, of African-American boys and men and other men of color. And that was, frankly, um, this summer when the Trayvon Martin uh, trial ended in in the acquittal of George Zimmerman. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think many of us had grown accustomed to the president really not saying too much um, about the predicament of African Americans in general, um, and in particular uh, with respect to matters of violence and and criminal justice. Um, So when um, we heard that you know, President Obama is coming out and he's he's speaking, he's talking about the acquittal. Um, I think I, like many other African Americans, just dropped everything and, and ran to whatever uh, <laughs> iPad, computer, television we could find. It's, it's sort of like back in the 60s when people used to say black on TV or colored on TV. Everyone stopped. <laughs> and so everyone stopped to hear what, you know, the first African American president was going to say. And I think that, you know, the extremes that you mentioned um, in your introduction uh, characterized the extremes at that moment. First of all, just relief that that he was really speaking to the issue and and not just something in passing, but saying something um, uh, uh, meaningful, um, um, reflecting empathy and, and reflecting the fact that this wasn't an ordinary kind of case. This was something that we did really have to pay attention to. And then in the middle of it, um, he said something to the effect that, you know, what we need um, is to tell our African-American boys that, that they matter, we, we love them, they're valuable in, in society. And he went on to indicate that you know, he was going to use the bully pulpit to basically pull this together. And I remember being um, uh, uh, puzzled. Um, at the moment, um, namely because of, of the many things one might have said about you know Trayvon, not having someone who loved him and not having his father in his life was not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really um, clear at that point that the the specific terms of the uh, initiative, namely uh, creating interventions uh, directly for and to advance the life chances of boys was not going to necessarily address some of the risks that the Trayvon Martin case represented, namely um, racism, um, uh, fear, um, lack, of, lack of gun control, um, you know, the, stand, the stand your ground laws. None of the policies and the structures 
were center were central in his comment. So my my surprise was at that moment. By the time it rolled out a few weeks ago, um, it, it was it was pretty clear that this was going to be his signature gesture towards racial justice. Um, and so, like this summer, I was thrilled that you know there were all these people um, in the White House coming to talk about. Uh, racial disparity and of course I was um, disappointed that there were such limits um, on the contours of that conversation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, I wonder if we could for a moment you have um, on the African American Policy Forum website aapf.org you've got a document there did you know um, a did you know document about the plight of black women mm-hmm. and I wonder if you could just talk about the need for black girls and women and, and some of the data that we see uh, that really point to the need for specific interventions that are tailored for black women and girls well, we put that document up. It, it actually reflects some research that we've been engaged in over the last uh, several years, um, partly because um, at, even as we celebrate the the fact that uh, the president and, and other thought leaders have taken up the question of um, the uh, negative life outcomes for African-American men, many times that led to an inference that the gender focus on men meant that African-American girls and women were doing just fine. And in fact, as we began some of this work and, and we talked to thought leaders and other researchers and, and philanthropists, it was often repeated to us that um, well, we're not aware that, that there is a crisis facing um, African-American girls. So at this point, there is what we call a knowledge desert um, that's usually made up of myth, misinformation, or just lack of information about um, what is happening to African-American girls and what's happening to African-American women. So uh, we just pulled some of the data that we've been collecting for a variety of, uh, of our projects just because we thought people need to know this. How you feel about the extent to which gender equity should play a role in this initiative um, is clearly a matter of debate. But one cannot have the debate if one doesn't know some of the basic facts about what's Mm -hmm. happening. So we look, for example, at suspension data because that's one of the things that's frequently mentioned um, as one of the key factors that leads um, uh, students away from achievement uh, into dropout. And from dropout, we have uh, a pipeline, as it's often called, into prison um, or criminal supervision or low-wage work. Um, And so much of the focus begins with the disparate suspension rates between African-American men um, and everyone else. But what that sometimes um, obscures is that the differential suspension rate is a racial suspension rate. So if you look at African-American girls relative to other girls, and particularly white girls, there's a tremendous disparity in their suspension rates. And in fact, the disparity between girls 
black girls and white girls um, is on all fours with the, the disparity between African-American boys and white boys. And in fact, in some studies, the, the, the evidence shows that black girls get suspended more than all girls and all boys except African-American men. So, so the suspension problem is a problem for all of our youth, not just mm-hmm. our, our, our boys. And then when we began to look a little bit more into, well, why are African-American girls suspended? Um, we're seeing that African-American girls tend to get suspended um, for um, offenses that are discretionary, that are attitudinal dis- <laughs> kinds of uh, mm-hmm. offenses. You know, um, uh, they, they um, are uh, um, engaging in intentional disobedience in, in the way that they are speaking. Um, they are, they're not showing uh, due deference and respect, or they're not acting like ladies. So this is a classic kind of intersection of gender, right? Girls tend to um, be suspended for discipline for things that are particular to girls. And then African-American girls, because of the stereotypes of them being, you know, aggressive and masculineness, um, get the shorter end of even that stick. So we wanted to raise awareness of how even in ground zero of the school-to-prison pipeline, there's a problem that girls are facing as well as boys. And then if you play it out across one's life uh, span, we find that some of the factors that play such a role in this discourse, namely um, the effects of dropout, the National Women's Law Center found that the effects of failing to receive a high school diploma are actually more profoundly disadvantaging for women than it is for men. And that helps explain in part um, the fact that African-American women actually make less than African-American men. And one of the things that we found that we put on the website is that the net worth for African-American women, the median net worth, so that is the point uh, in uh, exactly in the middle of all uh, African-American women, is $100, $100. That's compared to $42,000 for white women, right? Mm -hmm. So it's clearly a racial gap. And it's compared to about $8,000 for African-American men. So um, it's, it's also a gender gap. So we wanted to bring some of these facts into the conversation so that people understand that men and women have many ways in which they share races, race, the effects of racism. And then there are other ways that as male and female, they have different effects of racism. But we all are sharing the consequences of racism. None of us is doing well in a society that has these kinds of racial disparities in them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a, a really key point is that we – as black people really have to make sure that we are aligned in our vision and in our um, our strategy, and we have to do that by talking to one another. You know, while it is true um, that I think, uh, you know, black men and boys often find themselves in, um, as, as a category um, where they are at the bottom of, of many 
indicators and uh, many systems of measurement. So, for instance, in school, black boys with disabilities are the most suspended group of students, um, and it, that the the the, the very tired racial narrative that we tell about black boys and men um, it didn't ring true for Trayvon Martin and Jordan mm-hmm. Davis, as you said, right? They, they ha- their fathers were in their lives. They were in school. They, you know, from that that stereotype that we, you know, see perpetuated everywhere, that wasn't them, and they're not with us. And that mm-hmm. that is what's true, right? And, yeah. and yes. so, you know, as you speak about this, you know, the need for us to be united in thinking about how, as a race, we are we we face these um, these challenges and these barriers that are institutional. You know, it makes me think. Okay, so it's 2014. We are 50 years now after the Civil Rights Act, which will be 50 in July. We are 50 years after the the Freedom Summer um, of 1964. We're we're 60 years after Brown versus Board of Education, and so it's probably time that we think about what our next chapter is in civil rights and how we do that. How do we move forward as a community, as men and women? Um, yeah. You know, the, yeah. the wealth gap that you that uh, $100 network. Net worth, you yeah. know, that mm-hmm. is. That is incredible, and it some of incredible. the emotional and mental health issues that are also noted in your uh, in the report here on the website. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really it's very very stark, and we share that with you know black men. So yeah. how do yeah. we then take take control as black men and women of the conversation, and not mm-hmm. allow for um, you know the the division that could come from a, an initiative like My Brother's Keeper, not allow mm-hmm. that to happen and move forward mm-hmm. as a community? How do, we, how do we do that? Well, I think that you put your finger on the challenge uh, of this moment, um, and in particular uh, uh, pointing out that um, we really do need to be able to uh, build on the strength um, that has sustained us so far, and that strength has been the recognition um, that we're in a collective struggle, that there's mutuality between us, that while we uh, may uh, face different types of burdens based on our gender and based on our class and based on our sexual orientation um, and our uh, disability or ability status, that there is a common narrative that holds us together, and that commonality is what uh, underwrote the strength of the various uh, movements that brought us to this moment. And I think that's a very, um, it, it sounds simple, but I think this is a moment when it's really challenging, um, partly because um, the narratives that have been spun um, are now sort of being rolled out as all-purpose explanations for um, disparities and tragedies that happen to us. Um, and you know, I, I can't I can't um, say enough that you know to be able to uh, sidestep some of the questions around gun violence that um, we know um, have has very little to do with whether someone loves us or not um, is an indicator of how much a challenge it is to keep our eye on the prize, keep our eye focused 
on the kinds of structural and institutional and interpersonal dimensions um, of race, racial inequality and uh, gender inequality that has um, so devastated our community. And I think that um, because we've been so starved for any effective conversation about this, um, that we sometimes are not as um, uh, critical as we need to when folks come to the table uh, under the idea that, okay, we're, we, we all have the same objectives in mind. Let's talk about where our uh, agendas overlap. I noted, for example, that Bill O'Reilly was at the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill O'Reilly has not been a friend to African Americans for many years and mm-hmm. has been the source of some of the most egregious, in my view, uh, assaults on this, our civil rights history, the uh, need to maintain a, a race focus on disparity, um, some of the consequences of the rollback uh, of affirmative action, voting rights, um, I could go on. Yet he has a seat at this table. Uh, mm-hmm. I note as well that um, former Mayor Bloomberg uh, has a seat at this table. This is a, a person who has uh, uh, legitimized the perhaps most um, racially burdensome uh, public policy in the country, the stop and frisk policies that a court ruled was unconstitutionally discriminatory and courts don't do that very much anymore Mm -hmm. so what's going on that we have people like this who have basically been on the other side of every major issue that we care about um, having a seat at the welcome table here and others who have been advocating for um, relief from structural inequality focused on um, the, the withdrawal of resources from our communities and our schools, the increase in uh, dollars for incarceration and police strategies, um, the consequence of uh, shredding the social safety net and throwing so many women and, and children into poverty. All the people who are advocating for those kinds of frames as a way to think about how we go forward now um, are not quite as center in this debate as some of the folks on the other side. That should be a moment for us to really think critically. What's happening in this frame that's pushing more traditional ways of understanding our interests off the table and, and bringing some of these other ideas into the mix? Can they really work well together? I, I would say I'm not so sure that they do, but one of the things that I am sure about is excluding women and girls from the dialogue is a dangerous move because it reinforces the idea that these are not structural and institutional problems that affect everyone in the community. These mm-hmm. are potentially problems of the individual um, and their family unit. So if we, could, if we could fix the family unit, pull up the pants, and do a good job of instilling the idea um, that there are no excuses, including you can't really complain about where you were born, how you were born, where you go to school, what the conditions are, whether there's violence, whether there are resources. It's just personal responsibility. That kind of argument, I think, is a little easier to move forward when you're not looking at how everyone in the community is being affected by these conditions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So how do we, as as um, as black women, how do we make sure that we are talking about my brother's keeper and the work that needs to happen for black women and girls in a way that doesn't necessarily um, I don't I don't want to operate from a, a deficit place, right? A place of deficiency for black women and girls. I want to be able to say we are a powerful force. We are um we have this this ability to um to act from a, a place of invisibility and uh to do so and and uh, move things even though we're not seen uh, or heard, and at the same time, we want to make sure that we're aware of some of this data that you have shared about where black women and girls stand in this country, mm-hmm. um, and we we want to, to make people aware of that data, um, mm-hmm. it, but, but not encourage or perpetuate uh, negative stereotypes or, um, you know, feelings of pity and the need to to rush in and save black women and girls. How do we do yeah, that? Yeah, and, and and you've you framed a you framed a dilemma that I think many um many of us are, are thinking about. I I do think that perhaps we've come to a point where we really have to cast off some of the stereotypes of uh our, our unmitigated strength. Um and recognize that uh, the ability to bring attention to the circumstances of our daughters and, and our mothers um, does require us to tell the truth about what's happening um, at the community level and, and in their lives. And telling the truth should not be something that um, we shy away from or that we're ashamed of or that we think um, spoils uh, the party, as it were, for um, our men. Um, we are we are we are linked to one another um, in in ways that can cannot be torn asunder. Um, and mm-hmm. so that linkage means that what happens to us happens to our sons. What happens to mm-hmm. us happens to our daughters. What happens to our daughters means that the way that and the conditions under which they mother will also affect their sons and daughters. So so it's important to be able to talk about what's happening to us, both in our own right and also in terms of its effects on our communities and, and on our families. Um, the, the bare fact remains that um, in terms of some of the indicators that uh, frequently are discussed with respect to uh, our men, um, our girls uh, are facing very similar kinds of indicators from from violence. Uh, black girls are the most likely um, of all girls and most uh, boys, except African American and Latino boys, to die from gun violence. Tremendously disparate numbers. Um, they have the highest rates of interpersonal violence, highest of of anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this strength and this silent, you know, sort of fortitude is um, a, a two-faced kind of thing. Yes, we have been able to survive, but we've been surviving some circumstances um, that are pretty devastating, and some of us have not. And mm-hmm. so in the spirit of ensuring that 
our society tells all of us, our boys as well as our girls, that we're valued um, and that we're loved and that what happens in our lives is meaningful, it's important that we be able to say not as downstream effects from correcting and improving the lives of our men, but walking side by side and hand in hand. That's what got us through the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. That's what put President Obama in the White House. And that's what has to be the next step that we take in this period of post-racialism. We're not post-racial. We're not post-gender. All of these things are shaping the lives of women and girls. And we need to, to not be ashamed anymore um, of being able to say, I stand in solidarity with my brother and my sister. I'm concerned mm-hmm. about my son and my daughter, and I'm interested in all of the ways, both particular to their gender and across gender, they're experiencing push out of school, uh, lack of, of role modeling, um, uh, uh, media stereotypes that tell them that they're only good for either shooting a gun um, or, or, or dancing on a, on a hip-hop video. I mean, these are all things that are gendered, and they run across our young people, and it's important that we be able to speak to all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of our young people, um, as as black men move into position with my brother's keeper, how do you, how are you thinking um, are the best ways to equip young people to make sure that they honor that linkage that you spoke of, that linkage between black women and, and men, and mm-hmm. and to get young men in particular to speak for and about black women, not just as you know my daughter or my partner, but as myself. How do, yeah. how do you equip black young black men to do that? I think that's an excellent excellent question. I, I think one of the things. Um, and, and this goes across the board, is we need to demand for the information that is generated from this initiative to include information on girls as well as boys. We cannot move forward with an idea that we don't even need to know what is happening uh, with our girls. And, and quite frankly, sometimes this has been a struggle. Anytime you can get information on boys, the the information for the girls is there as well. The question is whether you're going to report it, and so mm-hmm. we're not able to be to press the urgency of addressing girls as well as boys if we can't even get the information in the first place. It becomes a vicious cycle. We don't mm-hmm. know anything, so we're assuming that everything is okay, so we're not asking whether things are not okay because we don't have any information to suggest that aren't. So mm-hmm. so that's one thing across the board. I think secondly. Um, it is important to retell and remind people that that this is a departure. This particular moment, it, it does not characterize how we have traditionally advanced as a people. Um, we did not come out of slavery with an idea that um, only only one gender. Um, was suffering. We did not come out of segregation with that idea. We did not push through the civil rights movement with that idea. So if we're seeing ourselves building on our history, we need to revisit that history and understand that we've always experienced racism through our genders, and we've always seen ourselves as a coalition pushing that forward. I think telling that story uh, uh, is important. And last but not least, 
it is vital to have African-American men who are troubled by the exclusion of uh, women, whether it's their mothers, daughters, sisters, aunts, or their Mm -hmm. colleagues, actually speak to the need to consistently maintain the coalition that has been important to advancing our interests. So I I look to um, some of those who have stepped forward to say, um, I applaud moving in this direction. I think it's important that we uh, address racial disparities, and I also think it's absolutely essential that we remember our mothers, our daughters, our sisters. Um, a colleague uh, of mine, um, Luke Charles Harris, um, has written a piece called My Two Mothers and My Two Dads, and he talks about how the initiative would have helped his fathers, both of his fathers who abandoned him. And he also mm-hmm. says, most immediately, having women included in some of the policies and some of the concerns would have helped my mother, the one who raised me on welfare and had to work um, uh, uh, jobs as as maids, or my mother who was a a drug addict and died an early death. They lived desperate lives. And so he's the kind of person who joins with other African-American men to support the idea that we need to create interventions for our men. And we need to create interventions for our women, and those need to be integrated efforts to push our community forward. Mm-hmm. So what do you say, and, you know, I have talked to um, several women, uh, my my friends and others who um, have, you know, are just processing My Brother's Keeper, and um, there's a lot of of excitement at the potential and a lot of, um, just, just feelings of of thank goodness. And yes, this president needs to sit one on one with black boys, especially, and have a conversation about his life and how he got to where he is, and and to be a role model. Um, and and there are women too who say, you know what? Damn it! You know where where are we? And how is it that we are left again? begging for for attention and begging mm-hmm. for scraps and and begging for leftovers and saying just at least you know give us a shout out in a in a speech or something as you're thinking about my brother's keeper how mm-hmm. how do you speak to those women and say and and let them know that really this is a a concerted effort that really we are um well positioned to take advantage of this opportunity my brother's keeper to make sure that we are creating a movement that is men and women and that we really will have a seat at the table. Yeah. Well, I, I think that we have to feel um, empowered to actually express those views. Um, one of the um, challenges for those who do say that we do need to have a shout-out to the women and girls and not just to the two girls, the three <laughs> in the White House, um, um, who, you know, are not living the lives that the vast majority of girls and African-American women uh, are living. Um, one of the responses to that is that, well, n- um, no one else is saying this. 
And and in fact, we know that you know a lot of people are having conversations about. So, how do we navigate this space? How do we bring women and girls into the conversation? Um, and so, one one thing is to point out all of the places where um, the 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 background that is that is framed for this crisis includes statistics and 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 numbers that reflect girls. So many of the the data points are about black youth, and that Mm -hmm. includes girls as well as boys. So remembering that, you know, it is a myth to assume that black women are not being affected by racism. It is a myth to assume that we're so strong uh, that we can do it on our own. It's been um, the the pill that we've swallowed very long for a long time to accept the fact that we're frequently not in the conversation, and and mm-hmm. we just quite frankly need to stop, um, mm-hmm. and 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 say this is too important a moment uh, when the when the spotlight has finally been cast on ongoing racial disparities to not say that these disparities affect us too and think that there's going to be another moment down the, the, the path. There's mm-hmm. not going to be another Barack Obama. Um, mm-hmm. there's not gonna, Michelle is not going to be running for president next, so there's not going to be a black woman yeah. president. This is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is, mm-hmm. this is the time um, when these disparities and, and the unfinished business of the civil rights revolution is before us, and we mm-hmm. cannot afford to step into this in a way that suggests that we don't have an equal stake in it, not just as mothers of sons, but as mothers of daughters. Yeah. And not just of wives of husbands, but mm-hmm. but as women and, and and as sisters. And one of the things that I think that we need to be able to feel empowered to say is when the programs actually hit at the community level, um, or when some of the resources that are being aggregated to support this withdraw from those programs that are um, inclusive. Um, mm-hmm. withdraw from the kinds of approaches that view our community holistically, um, remove opportunities that had been in place uh, for boys as well as girls. When those moments happen, we can't simply turn to our daughters and say, sorry. Mm-hmm. We've got to have something to say, something to do, something to draw attention to the need to address all our youth in the variety of ways that they are suffering. So I say that the main thing is we cannot agree to suffer in silence anymore. We cannot agree to accept the stereotype that we're doing well. And we cannot agree to accept the exclusion of some of the things that are particular to us. Girls who get pushed out of school because they're pregnant. Um, That's a huge push out. Um, And nobody talks about it because they're ashamed about the fact that or they think it's their fault. Um, and we don't know that that uh, significant numbers of go- those girls are impregnated by uh, not their uh, same age boyfriends, but older men. We don't talk about the mm-hmm. fact that African American girls are trafficked more than any other group, or sent to juvenile facilities more than any other group. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of things that we've got to say. We're not ashamed to talk about. We we love our women as much as we love our sons, and we're just not going to allow them to suffer in silence anymore. Yeah, yeah. So you know, to that point, you know, what about what about women? How do we reach 
you know, I'm, and I don't want to speak in generalities. And so, you know, let me let me think of my own mother or, you know, my sister with her her three daughters. And how do we reach those women who who will see this announcement, celebrate for a moment, and then put their heads down and get back to work? Right? How do yeah. we how do we get to those women and say, lift your heads, let's let's build together and build together with our men wherever they are. How do we reach them? I think that the key aspect of reaching them is telling the story of their lives that they recognize Mm. and knowing that that they're seen Mm -hmm. and knowing that their aspirations for their daughters to do even better is meaningful and legitimate. Mm -hmm. So, you know... One one of the one of the biggest challenges in, in figuring out how to spend the, the initiative um, in a way that's inclusive is is moving beyond the idea of of women and girls as the helpmates um, mm-hmm. who do keep their their head to the grindstone because they're raising these kids they're they're trying to you know figure out how to take care of aging parents they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to negotiate urban spaces that are not often safe, how to try to stay healthy, how to get I mean, they're 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 working every angle. Um and and to the extent that they're working every angle is not discussed, it reinforces the idea that, okay, that's your role. Um mm-hmm. hold on, pretty soon, eventually um, there might be, you know, a helpmate on the horizon, maybe the next generation. But generally speaking, you're a variable that's dependent on something else. You're not a variable or an agent or a subject of your own life. And as long as that's part of the rhetoric, then, yeah, people are going to just go back to, to the same old, same old. But this is yeah. an exciting moment, and it's yeah. important that the women can get as excited about this um, as, as many of the men and many of the women who work in, in this particular industry. If the whole community is going to get engaged, the whole community has to be represented. We have to understand yeah. all the things everybody is dealing with. Mhm. Mhm. So, is there? Do you think there is? Well, let me ask differently. How do we make sure that we maintain national energy and national attention? Which, so far, from what I've seen from my brother's keeper, has been at a very high level. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that there's a lot of of spark right now around my brother's keeper, which is very, very exciting. How do we yeah. maintain that, you know, and and build on that for my brother's keeper and for a a coordinated movement of of black women right. and girls too? Well, so I I I have only a couple of you know, general instincts about it um, that that are just generalizable. Like whenever there is a moment, an intervention, a new possibility, what that turns into is really what people make of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen I've seen efforts to really push this to say, finally, we're going to be able to talk about the the absolute. <laughs> Um, structural and institutional sort of devastation that has occurred by, 
you know, the last 20 years where all of the resources have been put into incarceration um, and, and defunding the public sector. I've seen people try to make, you know, this the, the, the next kind of conversation. And, mm-hmm. and some folks have pulled back saying, well, that's not what my brother's keeper is about. Um, mm-hmm. That's not what the president said. Um, or when people say, yes, boys and girls are doing well, well, but, that, but that's not what he talked about. Well, well, the reality is that movements that move things forward never maintain or stay within the uh, original square um, mm-hmm. of, the, of the defining moment. You take it and you move with it. You know, the civil rights yeah. movement, you know, began o- over where you get to ride on the bus. But we didn't stay yeah. there. Yeah. It was clear <laughs> that it was about more than where you sit on the bus. Yeah. So I think I think those of us who see this as a as a moment of possibility and and I think it's it's important to recognize that this is not likely to come again. So yeah. this is this is the moment where we need to infuse this attention um to uh racial inequality with all the things that we think are important to maintain. And we need to recognize that even as we do this, there are some people at this table who are going to denounce some of the places where we want to take this mobilization. I mentioned a few of them a couple of minutes ago. So there are, th- there are those who are going to say, I'm with this as long as this is focusing on the behavior and the values of the African-American community. Right. And when you right. get off of the behavior and the values, you know, when you step away from, you know, taking, quote, unquote, personal responsibility for this and try to gr- throw a broader net, I'm done. And mm-hmm. so I think there are going to be folks who are going to try to push against what this opportunity might mean for us. And we just have to, we just have to resist it and continuously push for a broader rethinking of how to move forward collectively with this rare moment where racial inequality is at the center of the discussion. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not as, it's, this is not going to be a we shall overcome moment where people are going to yeah. be walking, you know, hand in hand across the Pettus Bridge. Some of mm-hmm. those folks are not <laughs> really fully on the agenda of addressing racial inequality across the board. They don't see it as a social problem. They see it as a cultural values problem. And there's others on the other side who see it as a structural problem, a racial problem, an economic problem, and also a gender problem. And and the question is whether all of us will be able to join together effectively, take these resources as they come down to the community level, and insist on a broadened understanding of the kind of programs and interventions that will really make a difference for the community as a whole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that, and I think that is a a perfect way to end. I'm so sad that we're out of time. This is a wonderful conversation. (laughs) It went by pretty fast. (laughs) It did. It did. Kimberly Crenshaw is professor of law at UCLA and the Columbia School of Law. She's also the co-founder of the African American Policy Forum, and I'm so thrilled to have had you on the show today, Kimberly. Thank you so much. I think, you know, what I am taking away from this is that we are far more powerful together than we are apart, black men and women, and black women can and should claim My Brother's Keeper as their own so that we can really topple those institutional and structural impediments that you you so eloquently described. So thank you so very much for being here. Thanks for having me. 
audience, you are now officially certified know-it-alls about My Brother's Keeper and A Black Woman's Perspective. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook. And read my blog at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week. Know It All.